Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, and hopefully everyone is having a happy holiday. So as 2020 wraps up, we wanted to just kind of look back at the year and put together some of our favorite clips from past episodes. And granted, I say that every single guest that we have on is my favorite, and I 100% still stand by that. But these seven clips are definitely just some of the ones that stood out to me as really important to our year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to choose moments that were good or, or quotes that were good, but I think we've selected a handful here that are, you know, ones that may help carry you into 2021, you know, whatever your goals are for the coming year, um, you know, and, and sort of help you become more of a consummate athlete, more of a, a person who's ready to do different sports, who's able to thrive, overcome injuries, you know, do all these crazy things we've talked about over the years past. So, Peter, what was your most consummate athlete moment of 2020? Well, you've put me on the spot with that one. I was just sure. going to say, I did not plan this beforehand. Just throwing throwing you into it here. I don't know. You know, I think I come back to the idea of community has been a big part of this year. Uh, I think for everyone is sort of how do you maintain that community uh, at a distance? Um, for us, without traveling, you know, it's been actually in some ways uh, better, right? It's we, We've tried to look at that as a positive that we've been able to make deeper connections or reestablish some connections with some of our our community at home so i think for me it's some of these moments we did a distance event with the local mountain bike club and i've been able to ride with friends who i've you know started riding with um you know in, in a couple different areas so i think just reconnecting with people often on a bicycle but also runs and, and doing different sports as we do how about you what, what was your moment um, I actually think my, my favorite consummate athlete one was the, the weekend I did with my, my friend Karen where we rode, we rode a century on, mostly rode, a little bit of gravel, and then we ran a trail marathon, and then we rode a century back to our homes, and it was just a really fun couple of days. It just kind of reminded me like sort of why I do all of the training that I do so that I can do like fairly, and I know it's overused, but epic adventures like that. I mean, like it didn't it didn't feel like this huge deal. Like I was able to function the next day. And I think that's a result of 10 years of building up. So I could do stuff like that. So despite not having races, that was a really good sort of like indicator that I'm I'm in the direction that I want to be. Very good. Well, I hope that everyone else can can pick a few moments that were, you know, good scenery, good company, good, you know, adventures, good feelings, sensations. Uh, in whatever sport you do uh, or did this past year. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's maybe get into some of these great moments shared by the, the lovely people we've had on the podcast. And actually, I think we should start with Laura Wilson talking about meditation because I feel like this episode is one that a, a lot of people could benefit from, even if you like go back and listen to the entire thing. But in particular, you know, she and I talked about essential oils and meditation, but What I really liked is honestly talking to her was the first time I ever was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this whole meditation thing. And like, I actually have been for the past year and change. And I think it does make a difference. Yeah. And I think she did a good job of sharing sort of how she got into it and what she was dealing with 
um, as far as, you know, losing, I think it was her father, um, was maybe the first time she sort of considered it and got introduced to it. Uh, and then sort of how it's helped her. And so I think sometimes I, I really relate to case studies and just sort of hearing, you know, what people did or, or where they went wrong or where they went right, how they got into it, what tactics did they use. So I think uh, the clip we chose that we'll play here for you fine folks is one that sort of talks about a couple different ways, a couple different types of what we might call meditation or mindfulness. Yes, especially for athletes who don't like sitting still. So, all right, enjoy the snippet with Laura Wilson. For sure. I mean, I think any athlete, you've all, everyone's experienced the zone or like it does provide some relief. Like once you get out, I mean, I've certainly had this. I've walked away from my computer and gone for a bike ride. Mm -hmm. And maybe when I was sitting at my computer, I was trying to hammer out a problem that wasn't going. I couldn't solve something. And you go out for a bike ride, you stop thinking about it. And suddenly the answer comes to you in such an easy way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in a way, that that activity is a bit of a meditation because you're stepping away from something and opening yourself up to right. it. So, you know, active meditation is a form of meditation, but I do encourage people to try just like a quiet mind, like, like quieting the mind and being in stillness mm-hmm. for at least like five minutes a day because I think they'll find that it's a totally different challenge than, um, you know, trying to quiet the mind while you're exercising. Yeah. And there's a lot of benefits that come from it, but people don't recognize them until they maybe read about them or they experience them themselves. But besides, like you said, calming them, calming yourself before a race, it really can help with street uh, sleep. Yeah. And so sleeping better before races or like leading up throughout your training so that your training better is going to make a significant difference. It actually lowers inflammation in your body. Uh, it increases your immune system. It... Um, it helps reduce cortisol levels in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, the lists go on and on and on. So, you know, meditation has been happening for thousands of years, mainly through religions, but it's now through science that we're starting to realize the medicinal benefits of it. So um, there's so many things that would help just by, you know, five minutes a day of mm-hmm. stillness and just being it opens up all those other benefits that are going to help your training. Program. Okay, so next up we have Peter's idol, Dan John. This was probably the most exciting interview that I've ever seen you prep for. Well, you had a lot of good guests this year. You know, we're, I think if we're giving thanks, we definitely need to give thanks to all the amazing guests we had, um, you know, and all the different things they do, and the, whether it's researching or being athletes or being coaches. Um, and certainly, yeah, Dan John was, you know, on, our, on my at least bucket list for quite some time. Uh, so we were very fortunate he came on was very generous with his time and I think from his latest book attempts he had this idea that he presents of being a knitted athlete uh, and, and what fitness meaning sort of knitted and put together if you will so he does a job a great job explaining that and sort of gives you a few different ways to look at that but the idea is that you know in in the same direction as we're thinking about being consummate athletes who like having community and friends and you know, different aspects that, that sport fulfills and, and is sort of a vehicle for. He talks about this idea of being knitted and being a person who's, you know, healthy, but also fit, you know, but also, you know, a, a good friend and a good person. So we'll let him explain that. You know, I first got this from uh, Steve Ilg, I-L-G, who I think is really one of the brighter people in the game. He knits Western cha- uh, training with Eastern spirituality. And he, he reminds us that the word fit 
means knitted. And the best way to think about fit is a jigsaw puzzle, I think. When the pieces fit, you know, you don't, when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle and you get the pieces to fit, you know it, right? It's, it looks right, they fit right. And so what I try to do with not only my athletes, but every single person I meet, is when I talk about fitness, uh, I try to get them, well, sometimes I call it the lees, the spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, all those areas, all your lees, I get you, I those, get you. They, they wrap in together with this idea that you want six-pack abs. Uh, it is a basic part, of, and I'm. by the way, I might be the last person who talks about this, but I'm still a great believer in Western civilization, uh, this idea that body, mind, soul, and spirit should be one thing. Um, one of my tenets of training people in the weight room, the body is one piece. If you have diarrhea, we're not going to back squat today. Uh, if you just broke up with your girlfriend, probably not a good idea to do the Olympics. All right, so our next guest we have on here is Sue Amato, who came on actually twice to talk about yoga and then specifically sort of yoga for athletes and injury and recovery and everything. But I think the clip that we're sharing today is really a good one because it talks about just how yoga is important for all athletes even before we're injured or before we need it. It's actually, you know, super preventative. And, you know, you can sort of tie it in with Laura's talk about meditation. You know, I, I find it's really easy to just kind of throw your couple of minutes of meditation sort of in with your yoga practice. Sure. Um, not while you're doing yoga, but like before or after. Yeah, it could be maybe the lead in. Maybe some people need a bit of movement, you know, gentle movement before they, they get into that sort of seated posture or even you know the the shavasana to finish off the yoga mm -hmm. and actually even with um with the consummate athlete coaching clients we do a lot of fridays we do a morning yoga session on zoom and i always start with a few deep breaths that are kind of i'll say meditative in nature because i think like when you wake up especially if you do yoga first thing in the morning it's nice to just have that you know even minute sort of lead into it where you're just breathing just kind of getting into your body checking in um, yeah, and I think, you know, for some people that might be a, a gratefulness, you know, where you just sort of give thanks for the uh, the time that you've taken to do it or, or for the ability to do the yoga. Um, but I think for the athletes, and if we think about this purely in the physical, we do want to be moving through some different ranges of motion and, and more in like a therapeutic sense, a more gentle sense, since a lot of us are, you know, more hard charging people who are demanding a lot of our bodies. Uh, this this more therapeutic movement is something that's we found is is quite worth making time for. All right, let's hear from Sue. Uh, like a, a short, specific, easy to do practice, like more often and daily is ideal for sure. Um, that's the way to go. This practice, you know, was made to be done repetitively and daily. It wasn't meant to be done like as an event, like a two hour, no holds barred practice once a mm -hmm. month, you know, it was meant to be a practice so that you can connect with yourself, ground yourself, clear your mind, and then like, be a better human when you walk about your day. And so and it doesn't take like, uh, you know, anything wild and crazy to do that. It takes just a couple moments for you to get it in your body. And so whatever that means for you, like, so for me, I like to do some lunges where I just sort of wiggle around and get into my body, some down dog action. Typically that turns into like more than I 
planned and more than I anticipated, sometimes more than um, the time I've allotted for it, <laughs> which is great, right? That's, you'd, I'd like it to go that way versus not doing anything at all. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, just w- whatever, whatever it is that you need in your body. And sometimes you don't know that until you have practiced a little bit. Like the practice has a way of revealing asymmetry in your body. And as you get to know yourself more and more, you'll be better at picking out what needs to go in that like daily tune up or like morning warm up or whatever the case may be. Yes, absolutely. For athletes, athletes, I would actually love to see them do actually like, oh my gosh, they're not going to like this answer, but like twice (laughs) a day. Oh, whoa. So, all right, let me pitch it to you. Let me hit pitch me, it to you. Me. Just like a five-minute, like, warm-up. Again, like I said, like, um, so if I'm prepping for, like, a run or something, I'm going to probably first get on my back and do some, like, one-leg stretch kind of situations, like half-happy babies. I'm going to do a little, like, bridge repetition to get my glutes to fire. That's a concern for me. Um And then I'm just going to like move anything else that feels like it's a little bit sticky. So maybe around the hips or like around my waist, something like this. And then, you know, do a little cat cow down dog and go about my run. So then later in the day, not necessarily immediately after the workout or the training session, but like later in the day while winding down for bed, um, I'd love to see some like recovery yoga in there and it doesn't have to be anything crazy so maybe just like a little bit of a longer hold and like some lizard lunges or something so that you get that open hip quality and some quad stretching quality um and then some legs up the wall legs up the wall is athlete's best friend in my opinion especially endurance athlete Mm -hmm. okay so next up we have repeat guest greg layman Yes, Greg is someone who I I definitely look up to. He is a a good all-around practitioner in that he is a physiotherapist, a chiropractor, a researcher, a presenter, um, and and he's doing a lot. Uh, You know, he's also a dad, uh, and he's been doing sort of telehealth for a long time, so he was well well ready, and he's helped a few consummate athletes that I've referred to him over the last year work through some more tricky cases of, you know, chronic pain, injuries that won't go away. Um, so we were very happy to have Greg come back and share with us a little bit. You know, he was, he's, I think got it live now in osteoarthritis, um, course that I think is sort of YouTube based and, and, and I believe free, um, for anyone who's, who's dealing with that or curious about that, you should check that out. And on this episode though, he, we, we've picked a clip that's about sort of this idea that you're not broken. And that's a big part of, of Greg's philosophy is this, what he calls movement optimism and this idea that, you know, we don't necessarily have to move in this stereotypical way. There's, you know, our bodies are very strong, they're resilient, we can work around things. And that a lot of, we can do a lot, I guess, to be healthier, we can do a lot to be, um, you know, optimistic in our movement, right? And that we can overcome a lot of things. Um, So yeah, so I think this is a a great message that we want to go into the year with is that we are, you know, strong and resilient people. Uh, we just might need to do things a little differently sometimes or, or work around them in, in different ways, right? Or, you know, get help. So we'll let Greg explain movement optimism. 
Uh, it's it's more of a reaction, right? Like if you look at classic physio, chiro, athletic training, kinesiology, all, all that stuff, it's it's all about finding things that are supposedly wrong with people <laughs> and saying that needs to be fixed. It's like you're doing it wrong. That's why you have pain, and that's that's what I don't like. It's like. Um, you know, your your pelvis is tilted forward and therefore you have more stress on your back. It's such a negative view of the body or your knee caves in a little bit when you, you know, when you ride your bike or when you run, that's why your knee hurts. It's such a fragile uh, view of the human system. So that it, it's more of a reaction to the what's called the kinesiopathological model. Kinesio just means like movement and that people move bad and that's why they have pain or a muscle in the back turns on 100 milliseconds late and that's why they have low back pain like that that's what physio is fraught with that that's the history of it right so my view is like no no there's nothing wrong with how people move your muscles are working fine or if they're working different it's because you have pain and, and pain corrupts you you can adapt to uh having your pelvis tilted forward and if you really look at it you're just because you're standing there and your pelvis is tilted forward, as soon as you start stop, start walking and moving and sleeping and sitting, you change up your posture. So did, did, there's all these inconsistencies in the traditional model of of pain. So this is more of a reaction. Right. And it's not saying that we don't need to move or that um, you might not need to modify something necessarily. It, it's Yeah. It, it's the idea that these things... Like, don't chase these things. Yeah, your, your back hurts, but so we view that as being sensitized for some reason. So what are our options to help with sensitivity? And sometimes it might be moving differently, but that doesn't mean we're teaching someone to move in the right way. You're just saying, oh, that hurts. Don't, don't do that for a bit. So let's change your setup on your bike or let's change your running or let's change how you lift. But we're not changing you to the right way. We're just changing you to another way, another technique. Cause, and, it, and then if you're an optimist, you say, well, what's the right technique? And we say, well, a, a lot are, are, are available to, to you. Because you might have perfect technique before. I, I did quotes there. No one can hear those quotes. <laughs> like based on what people think is the, the right way, but that could hurt. And so you, if you're optimistic, you can say, well, I can move differently. And the, a coach might say, no, no, that's not the right way to do a backflip. And you say, well, that works for me and it feels good and I'm doing the, my performance and I'm achieving my goals. So it is the right, the, the right way because it feels better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just just looking at it like that. Or you say, don't get caught up in trying to fix yourself. And we say, well, how can we adapt to this painful movement pattern? What else could we do to like decrease your sensitivity? And the irony here, sometimes, especially with people who are physically active, sometimes like we add more load, which sounds weird. You just add different stress on the system and you build them up to tolerate their sensitive uh, task. Right. Or sleep more or something, right? <laughs> or get a hobby or go to church. I don't know. Like, right. like you just look at something else that's good for them and then they tolerate the shit that hurts. Right, right. And we've talked a little bit in the past and Molly certainly has, has used, I think, in a couple articles, your um, your idea of the, the cup there and sort of how much stress we can take as far as, as a cup. So um, when we look at this movement optimism, then I guess part of that then is, you know, you're an athlete, you're a cyclist, you've got back pain. So we might look at indeed, maybe you, your knee is dropping in when you move, but are there other factors like, is the world falling apart at the moment? Or, you know, are you sitting a lot at home or stressed about work? That type of thing, right? 
Yeah, that's it. And and so all those potential mediators of pain go in the cup. And the big idea in there is don't think all of them have to be emptied. You don't have to get rid of all the stressors because now you're screwing people even more. If you tell them, oh, depression is linked with low back pain, and they're like, well, I've been struggling with depression for 20 years, so my back <laughs> is now, now I messed up forever because I'm never going to cure that. Right. It's it's more like understanding that it's a variable. And it's odd, but the the irony is sometimes when you understand and get a better grasp of things, it's less threatening and then you have less pain. It doesn't always go to zero, but it's more manageable. All right. Next up, we have another repeat guest, actually, Stephen Seiler. Yes. Another favorite, uh, both for us and, and of the fans of the show, the listeners. I don't, you don't have to be a fan, but I guess the listeners of the show uh, tend to really like Stephen Seiler. You know, this is the, the gentleman who was part of um, the idea of polarized training, this idea that you train mostly easy, a little bit hard. And he's done a, a, just a, an amazing amount of research uh, over his career. He's got lots of presentations. He's got a TED Talk we've uh, referenced, uh, which I think is what this episode was largely based around, was around that time that he did as uh, sort of the myth of, uh, what am I looking for? Uh, no pain, no gain. Right. So this idea that you have to always be suffering when you exercise. Right. And I think he made a very compelling argument in that TED talk that, you know, that's a lot of the reason we see the dropout in physical activity and why people quit. Um, and, and that may be, you know, not achieve an athletic goal, but also just this idea of participation in, in physical activity, which is a, a big concern and a big, you know, passion for myself for sure. But a lot of coaches, I think that should be important. And for athletes, we certainly want to get people involved. So with that said, uh, this year was a little disrupted for a lot of us, but uh, you know, there's lots of reasons that training can disrupt, get disrupted, whether it's pools getting closed, you know, traveling, illness, whichever. And, and I thought this clip was a great one where Stephen talks about uh, how he suggested some swimmers or a swim coach guide um, swimmers through the COVID pandemic and, and pools being closed. How do you train to be a swimmer when you can't swim? And I think this is the heart of our consummate athlete idea um, is just this idea. Like, how do you work around that? And and what are the things you can do? What do you control? What are the elements of the sport that aren't maybe even exactly the sport, right? So I think this is relevant to any any mover, right? Is is what are the different parts of your sport that you can work on when you can't work on your sport? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a good kind of almost intro or slide into cross training, which is one of your favorite topics. For sure. For sure. And I think this is a very specific context that Stephen's talking about it. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this is, I think, a great example of, of this idea of, of how you can use different sports and different modalities to still make progress, to still maintain, to still work around, you know, sort of borrowing from the Greg Lehman clip you just heard. So let's let Stephen take a stab at how you swim without swimming. In terms of the swimmers, what I recommended was I said, look, number one, maintain the rhythm of your training because you've built a kind of a chronobiological rhythm into your training routine, uh, your hormonal routine. You know, your, your body has, has these cycles, and most swimmers are training twice a day, maybe even three if they had in a strength session, but they're at least typically doing a double, you know, twice daily training. And so that rhythm is there. And what I said is continue that rhythm. Even if you're on a bike, even if you're on a treadmill, even if, you know, if you're having to substitute all kinds of stuff, the training rhythm will serve you well. Because when you get back onto the water, you'll still be in that rhythm. That's number one. Uh, and then 
the other was the second point was I said, look, cardiovascularly, in terms of just maintaining cardiac adaptations, maintaining blood volume, and so forth. The running, the cycling, the rowing machine, whatever they have access to can do a great job in terms of basic cardiovascular fitness. But what they're going to, a swimmer, what they're going to be missing is that upper body uh, integration. Because when, when normally when you do upper body work, the cardiovascular system works pretty hard. Heart rate's higher, stroke volume is lower. There's just some differences. So they're missing out on that. They're not getting that. And how do, how can they achieve it? One way would be to take a, the bike trainer, put it up on the table, and turn it into a hand bike, and get some you know get some upper body work there. Another great alternative, if you have access to it as a swimmer, I would say, is to find a concept to ski polling ergometer. All right. Next up, we have Catherine Pendrel. Um, Olympian, world champion, just all around badass on the mountain bike. I, I like can't even repeat all of her palmares because we just don't have time for that. That's right. Um, just one of the most accomplished North American athletes. Um, and just all around awesome person too. I think so. I think she fits into this like idea of being knitted to use the Dan John uh, clip earlier. And then I think also as a consummate athlete, right? She cross-country skis she does all sorts of different cycling as part of her training started in horseback riding that's right we talk about that at the beginning of the episode which you don't get to hear here but you can certainly follow the links through the show notes or, or search uh katherine pendrel consummate athlete and, and you'll certainly find that uh which i that was probably my favorite part of the discussion actually was just her her history uh you know her first sport her f- forays into equestrian the world of equestrian and how maybe some horseback riding informs how she rides a mountain bike now which is just like right up my alley mm-hmm. yeah and well this clip we're actually talking a lot about cross training and the idea of it both from like a mental and physical break from your primary sport and i mean i think a lot of people really embraced that this year like kind of back to what steven said like when you know when the pool is closed what do you do well you're gonna have to figure out like a different modality and i think a lot of people did that i think it's the same reason a lot of people are cross-country skiing now Catherine being one of them but i know a ton of people have picked it up this season yeah and she's generally done that a lot of seasons at least for part of the season you know at some point she is an elite cyclist and has to go ride bikes has to and in quotation marks chooses to go to you know spring training camps and winter training camps and so forth but um, you know, I, I entered into this this clip in the interview we entered in by asking, you know, sort of, it used to be it seemed like more elite cyclists would, would ski for like months, you know, they would cross train for months, you know, maybe not even touch the bike or, or do very limited biking. And now it seems like there's less and less of that and the specificity is, is almost year round, right? There's not really that break. And so Catherine talks a little bit about at least the mental break that you get by you know getting off your bike getting out of your main sport for for a period of the year where you can sort of rebuild your love of that sport you know what is that the analogy that fondness makes the heart, heart grow, grow strong fonder? fonder not stronger but also stronger uh so that's the idea so why don't we hear all about that mentally i think i really enjoy being able to switch it up it's like some people when they take an off season they need to take like a month off or um, really switch things up, but because I know I'm not going to be riding my bike all winter, I'm not going to be um, slogging away in cold and ice because I don't have these other resources. Is like I know I'm going to get that break from biking every single day because in the winter I'm going to ski. Um, I think 
choosing a new sport is also really good because you adopt a beginner's mindset again mm -hmm. and you start thinking about oh yeah like how can I make be more efficient at this because this is so hard how I'm doing it or like how can I carry momentum from this downhill into that uphill and so you're you're thinking more about technique and um, how to make gains you're stressing your body in a different way while maintaining fitness and so I think you give yourself room to grow and adapt because you're stressing your body but not the same as when you go onto the bike so your body can keep adapting and making changes um, the challenge is being if you're not good at skiing you could get frustrated easily because you're like oh man like I just can't get the same quality or I can't get in the volume and so it feels it could feel overwhelming or feel like you're not able to do a good job and and that's where you have to start combining workouts until you can build up to that. Maybe you have to run and ski or you have to do an hour and a half ski, an hour and a half on the trainer or whatever to hit your your um, targets. Sure. Or just focus on doing quality and lower volume and then work up to it. And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can make training interesting and uh, push your body to make some really positive adaptions with having cross training. Okay, last up, we're going to end with a food one. We have uh, registered dietitian Kylie Van Horn on, and we spent the first part of the podcast talking about sort of race day fueling and in-run or in-ride fueling, which is all super interesting, and I highly recommend anyone who didn't catch the episode go back and listen to it. But the clip that we wanted to pick for today is actually more about the during the rest of the day fueling stuff, and uh, this particular part is I asked uh, where people go wrong in their fueling. And, and and I think what we both liked about this was that it's sort of almost more habit based or or action based more so than like don't eat this or don't eat that right a hundred percent yeah so we talked all about you know a lot of the time you know most people are guilty of this you come home you you know start you know you start checking your email after your ride or your run and you know then you're like okay so i actually did this yesterday so i can describe it very well you're like half out of your running stuff maybe walking around in your like sports bra and tights but like you're on your phone and then you realize you have to get on your computer to send an email and then you know the dog needs to go out but you also needed to like put something in the mail and then like you're answering this or doing this or doing this and suddenly it's been like 90 minutes two hours and you have not eaten anything and now you are starving so you go for you know, just the junkiest of junk food to, you know, finally start filling back up. Um, and, you know, that's that's a common thing for a lot of people. So what we talk about is the idea of, you know, just being prepared and having a plan for post-workout, sort of knowing what you're going to come in and, you know, have as your meal, whether it's an actual meal, like, you know, working out before lunch or right before dinner is awesome because it's super convenient. But also just having, you know, the appropriate snack on hand and ready to roll. Yeah. And she talks, you know, just sort of these ideas of how do we avoid making poor choices later in the day? Often that's, you know, a very, very common recurring question is this like, you know, bedtime snack or, you know, mid, you know, people waking up at night type situation, right, where it's all at the end of the day. And so... I, I think there's some great suggestions here to sort of take into the new year that, again, are more action based and less habit or, or less, you know, uh, prescriptive or less, you know, diet change, I guess, so to speak. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Kylie. After a workout, I will really try to have a recovery snack within two hours of when I work out or something, you know, 
because that is also a big one. There's a lot of people that are very busy and they don't eat after their workouts and they don't have anything available after their workouts. Um, so I think that that's kind of important um, to, to kind of make that a goal uh, yeah. for athletes in particular. Yeah, I completely agree. And not even necessarily just because of that like 90 minute window that we talk about. I think it's because if you don't eat, you're going to be ravenous in you know, two hours. And that's where you start going down the like, just going to pop out to grab a donut and maybe a latte yeah. type situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and I mean, it does affect your choices later in the day. I often see clients that will have cravings in the evening. That's a really big one that I see. And I find that it's very related to their choices earlier in the day or lack of choices earlier in the day. Yeah. Um, so really focusing on getting in that protein source, uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, those sorts of things earlier mm-hmm. in the day, um, getting in enough calories earlier in the day is really important. Um, and then it does, it's very interesting because I have a lot of people that will notice then once they make those changes, oh, wow, my cravings have really decreased. Mm-hmm. So that is something that uh, people tend to notice if they really focus on, on trying to change that around a little bit. All right. Hopefully you guys found that helpful, informative, or, you know, just fun. Maybe it reminded you of a couple good episodes that you've enjoyed listening to over the year. Uh, And we just wanted to say happy holidays. Yeah. And thank you for listening over the year or years, if you've been with us for multiple years. And, um, you know, if we missed your favorite episode, we would love if you shared that on your favorite social media, you know, a link to your favorite one and sort of tagged us. Um, And of course, rate, review the podcast if you have been enjoying it. That's super helpful. And we are going to just leave you with one final clip. Actually, it's me on the Canadian Cycling Podcast, which everyone should check out, even if you are not Canadian or a cyclist. It's all about, uh, this episode is all about setting intentions versus resolutions heading into 2021, and it is a good one. And luckily, the podcast editor and editor at Canadian Cycling, Matt, pulled some of the funnier clips from the episode for me to share. So... On the note of Cher, this is me talking about her. So here we go. Your work primarily covers fitness, health, technique, and training. But in that work, I see a strong influence from the world of personal productivity. By personal productivity, I'm thinking of such ideas as getting things done, popularized by David Allen. What are the links you see between personal productivity and fitness and training? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... Real talk. The first two books that I remember reading when I was eight years old are this book called Getting Organized. Uh, I was probably the only third grader that had an inbox and an outbox on her desk at home. And uh, and Cher's Forever Fit. That's right. Cher, like the Cher, wrote a fitness book. And these two books were my absolute favorite books. And for some reason, things of them just have stuck with me for the last, you know, 26 years. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.